Welcome to Chapel Chats. This is Rebecca Gaskell, otherwise known as Beck. I'm the chaplain at Ivanhoe Grammar in the Plenty Campus. And I'm Andrew Fox, otherwise known as Foxy, and I'm the chaplain at the Ridgeway Campus. Great. Hey, Foxy, you've brought a new person for us to chat to on Chapel Chats today. Um, His name's Steve Lazar. Do you want to tell me a little bit about him? Because I've not met him. Oh, look, Steve's a fantastic guy. He's actually an Australian, but he spent a lot of his time living overseas in the last 20 years with his wife, Roz, and he's been a great friend of Ivanhoe Grammar School. So he's been and visited the school on probably, I'd reckon, maybe close to 20 occasions now um, each time he's back in Australia. That's wonderful. And I, I have spoken to him for, for this recording and I was really impressed with um, his dedication. It's been 20 years that he's spent in Mozambique. Is that right? It is, yeah, 20 years So since he and his wife first heard about uh, what was happening in Mozambique. So they heard about it while they were overseas in Canada. And mm. I guess for them that was a, a real life-changing event and has led them to what they're doing now. Yeah, so they uprooted their whole family, their kids and everyone, and just and left. And year by year they just stayed. Is that right? That's right, yeah. They, yeah. They, year by year they took their two kids who were um, at school at the time and, and they their kids grew up for the last part of their high schooling in, in Mozambique and I guess they've also extended their family a little bit in Mozambique as well as we'll hear about us. Steve chats and tells us about uh, some of the adopted family members that they've got along the way over the last 20 years. Yeah, it's a beautiful story. And then hearing a bit about how Mozambique is coping with the current pandemic worldwide and how they're responding to that and the fact that um, Steve and his family came back to Australia just as that lockdown started and how they're coping with that. It's all very relevant and interesting. So, yeah, I hope you guys guys, um, really enjoy listening to Chapel Chats today. Yep, certainly great to have you with us and uh, let's have a listen to what Steve has to say for us. Uh, so it's really great today that we've got a, a great friend of the school who's been able to join us on Chapel Chats. So I'd like to welcome um, Steve Lazar, okay, who's uh, come to join us today. Great to have you with us, Steve. Thank you, Mr. Fox, um, for your kind welcome. And um, it's always good to speak to school students about uh, what I'm doing now, what I used to do and how I got there. So thank you uh, for patience. Fantastic, fantastic to have you with us, Steve. So, Steve, you might be a familiar at uh, least voice and face to, to some of our students because you've been visiting the school for, for many, many years now. How long have you been uh, a friend of Ivanhoe Grammar School for, Steve? What do think, you think now? Um, I think since about uh, 2003, perhaps 2002, 2003, was when I first got an invitation uh, to, to visit um, Ivanhoe. And uh, that's because of a, a, a relationship I had with the former headmaster of the school, who I used to teach with. And um, he was very, very keen to uh, get the school uh, started on um, social awareness, uh, supporting the poor, looking at other cultures. And because he knew that I was in Mozambique, uh, the then headmaster um, uh, invited me to come and visit the school. And so I began, I think, in 2002 visiting and from there, I think every year I've visited Ivanhoe, um, sometimes both campuses, to share with students about uh, the work that we're doing um, in Mozambique. So, so you mentioned Mozambique a couple of times there, Steve. Um, how long have you been in Mozambique and, and what sort of led you to Mozambique? Sure. Well, my wife and I first visited Mozambique in 1999, uh, just in our school holidays. I used to be a school teacher. And so in the school holidays of 1999, we visited Mozambique because we heard 
um, a, a lady uh, by the name of Heidi Baker and her husband. We heard them speak at a church in Canada. And when they spoke at the church, we were very interested in the work that they were doing uh, with orphans and with disenfranchised in Mozambique. And so from there, we uh, kept in contact with them. And our first opportunity to actually visit Mozambique uh, was in 1999. And we visited for just a couple of weeks. And uh, from there, uh, a few weeks later, uh, some great floods uh, began in Mozambique, some of the biggest floods that have ever hit the world. And my wife, uh, who's a nurse, and, and uh, my, my son, went back to Mozambique and visited uh, during the floods and helped with relief work, uh, helped with uh, medical care. And from there, uh, we began to talk about the possibility of maybe going out to, to work in Mozambique for one year or volunteer in Mozambique. So in 2000, uh, we uh, left our jobs and we went to Mozambique with the thought and hope of, of helping there for one year with the work with the orphanage and the work with children. And one year turned into two years, turned into three years. And uh, this is now our 21st year of uh, serving the poor uh, in Mozambique. So that's, that's, a, that's a quick uh, summary of how we got there. And do you want to tell us a little bit more about the, the work that you've been involved in for that last 21 years and um, sort of what it was like then and I guess a little bit maybe about how it's changed since then? Yeah, sure. The, the work has changed uh, quite a lot over 20 years. We uh, arrived in Mozambique just a little bit after the Civil War and if you look up the history of Mozambique, they were for more than 20 years in Civil War and when the Civil War finished, uh, the whole infrastructure of the country um, was destroyed. So health, education, uh, socially, um, educationally was, uh, was, was in turmoil. And so when we arrived there in, in 1999 and 2000, the, the, the country was just beginning to recover. So we began to gather children up who were abandoned, children who were living on the streets, children who were living on the garbage dump, uh, children who'd lost their way, lost their families, we began to gather them up and bring them into our centre. So when, when we, uh, in about 2001, we had 550 children who were living in really uh, emergency care because they'd lost uh, contact with their families or they were living in uh, extreme, extreme uh, conditions. Now, over the last 20 years, that's changed uh, somewhat because Mozambique has began to recover it's established uh, uh, schools, it's established hospitals, it's re-establishing government. And so our um, centre has transitioned from what was an emergency care centre uh, to now really a family and uh, children care centre. So we uh, now have, instead of 500 children, we have about 200. And um, because we are now putting most of our children back with their families because we believe that God created family but along with the 200 uh, children that we care for who live there with us 24 uh, 7 we also established mainly because of my background as a teacher we have established a school which has now 1200 students and those children are from uh, grade one through to grade 12 and they receive a quality uh, free education uh, running the Mozambican um, education uh, syllabus. And so we teach them mornings and afternoons, the children from our centre, plus more than a 1,000 uh, poorer students from the community. 
That's fantastic. So uh, education is obviously something which is really, uh, really important to you, but also really important for the kids of Mozambique. Sure, we believe that education is is one of the ways uh, to to get people out of poverty is to provide them with an education and opportunity for employment. So along with um, you know good uh, nutrition, uh, along with spiritual care. Um, along with um, living in community, we also believe that education is a vital part of uh, the opportunity for for the children to have a future. So you're you're saying there's about 200 children that still live with you or live on the base. Um, how how do those sort of kids come to to be with you? How how they arrived at Iris? Sure. Well, the children come uh, through uh, social welfare. They come because uh, someone in the community sees that children are living perhaps without parents. They come by the police because um, a child may be in a some type of um, abusive situation and so the police ask whether we could care for the child. So we receive those children through avenues like that and we have a social welfare team that before we receive the children, they do a, an investigation to find out why, you know, why, why would the child need to come to our centre? And we see if it's at all possible to help the child in the house. So we don't receive a child just because they're poor. If a child is poor, we will build them a house, we'll give them a place in our school, we'll provide the family with food and keep the child in the family. But the 200 children who live with us live with us because they cannot live with their families, because they're either orphaned, they're very sick, or their, their family situation is not safe for them to be in. So they're the reasons that the children live with us and they come to us, as I say, um, with a reference from um, community services, uh, police um, or community leaders. Uh, do you want to tell us a little bit maybe about, about some of the kids that have lived with you over the years? So uh, I know that for for um, for a number of years that, that you and your lovely wife, Roz, had a a number of children living with you. Can you tell us a little bit about that? Sure. Too? Well, along with just talking about numbers, we, we obviously fall in love with and have closer relationship with some children because uh, that's just the way it is. So in about 2002, 2003, we had a, a severe outbreak, I think it was, of measles. And uh, my wife's idea was to bring 10 uh, of the most vulnerable children into our house. And so we took 10 children that were aged uh, one and two years old into our house and uh, began to look after them. And when the sickness passed by, uh, those 10 children uh, remained living with us. So uh, this is now 2020. The last of our children uh, left our house at the end of 2019. So they're all now 19, 20, 21 years of age. And they are all have come from and still come from very, very um, dysfunctional or orphan backgrounds. And so we're still uh, parenting them. They're, we're not, they're not adopted, but we still look after them, care for them, even though they're not living any longer in our house on the base. They live in the community. They live in their own houses. Uh, most of them um, are studying, either finishing off high school or at university um, some of them are working, learning skills and trades, and um, we're privileged to be able uh, to see them um, through their adulthood. A couple of them um, are, have, uh, are married, 
are beginning to have their own families, beginning to establish their own lives. So that's that's the privilege of what we do, not just for the hundreds, but for the individual child. And I'll tell you about one of the children quickly. His name, I suppose, is, is one of our children who we looked after since he was just six weeks old. His name is Ernesto. He was very, very sick, hospitalised many times in his first years of life. Um, he's uh, struggled uh, with health issues, but now um, just turned 20. He's well. Um, he's uh, finished grade 12 at school. He's studying uh, at the Institute of Languages. He's studying English. He would like to become a vet. He's living in a community house just about a kilometre from our centre. Um, he's employed part-time at the centre working on our farm. And we're just trying to help him in through the stages of life uh, where eventually he will have his own job, his own house, his own family. And that's really uh, our, our desire for all the children who come into our care. Uh, well, that's that's uh, fantastic to hear. Um, uh, I know I certainly haven't, having met Ernie in the past, uh, he, he is he still as cheeky as ever, Steve? He is. Yes, he's uh, he keeps us on our toes, um, and uh, he's um, I guess just like any other youth, he um, has some great successes in his life and has some disappointments. Um, he would have really liked to get into veterinary science, but he's applied twice and hasn't quite got the grades he'd really like to perhaps get into computing science um but he's a, a challenge at times because he uh loses things breaks things um but he's getting there and uh you know we're as like all of our own personal children uh they have their struggles and their disappointments but they also have their um great victories and um you know we we, we have a, a really hope for them for the future and I think uh, in, in one of the questions uh, Mr. Fox asked me before the interview, it was, wanted to talk about hope. Well, the reason that this, this couple went to Mozambique in the first place many, many years ago was because um, Time magazine said that Mozambique, the situation there was hopeless. And they went there to demonstrate that Jesus is the hope of the nation. And so we went there with a gospel um, of the good news of Jesus along with all the help that Jesus would give. So medical help, educational help, food help, housing help. And with those two things combined, we're seeing the nation and individuals like Ernesto uh, with hope and with a future. So Steve is back here. Um, I've just I've been loving listening to you. Um, very inspirational and and um, yeah, it's been really really wonderful. I'm just wondering, like you're obviously in Australia at the moment, in Queensland, and um, we're all very aware of of COVID and and the isolation and the fact there's no planes going out to Mozambique at the moment. So who who's back back at Mozambique looking after the base and how are they coping in this kind of time? Sure. Well, we have a a team of Westerners. We have um about uh, 15 Westerners who are there, just like myself. They're, some of them are there with their wives, some of them are single, old, young, and they're volunteers. We're all volunteers. So there's a team of 15 who were in Mozambique when the coronavirus um, um, outbreak occurred and they decided to stay there. I was already in Australia and trying to return in, in uh, late February and was unable to return because of the, of the virus. So we have a team 
of 15, but we also have a, a Mozambican team, um, a leadership team of about uh, eight Mozambicans who are leaders, and then we have 150 Mozambican workers. So they're looking after things very well. In fact, some would say better than when I'm there, but they're looking after Banda really well between our Western leaders, our Mozambican leaders, and our workers. Uh, they're working together uh, to hold uh, what's a very, very difficult situation. Mozambique is a very different country to Australia. They don't have the testing mm. facilities that we have. They don't have the medical help that we have. And so when coronavirus uh, hit Mozambique, they simply uh, shut the country down. So they, are continual, mm. they continue to be in lockdown. So a bit like Australia, uh, schools aren't open, churches aren't open, most shops aren't open. Uh, people have to wear face masks outside of their homes. And officially, uh, there has only been about 140 people contact uh, the virus in Mozambique. And officially, none of those have passed away. Now, I say officially because they don't have the testing facilities or the hospital facilities to really know exactly how big. Yeah. The, the, but they are controlling it by really by isolating people um, at the moment. So thank God that there hasn't been a huge outbreak mm. like there has been in, in many other countries. And they are safe and they are well and, and on our base. Uh, none of the children have been uh, uh, affected severely and so we're very, very thankful. Well, that's a great testament to you that things are travelling well while you're away, so that's awesome. The other question that I had was back in the late 90s when you decided to go to Mozambique, um, you know, I often talk about these kind of moments as like sliding doors moments. Do you remember that movie yeah. from, I think it was mid-90s? And, and so if you think back to that time and the way that your family was headed before Mozambique and then after, what kind of difference and impact have you had on your own immediate family by, by living in Mozambique for the last so, well, odd years? My wife and I often talk about what if we hadn't, you know. And, but but mm. generally speaking, we, we wouldn't change anything because really the 20 years has exposed us and has exposed um, our children and now our, our grandchildren to a totally different uh, way of life. I mean, we're, most of us, were all brought up as Australians. We're used to our culture. But when you realise that more than half the world lives totally differently to the way we live in Australia. And that's one reason I got involved with Ivanhoe. And, and, and out of um, Ivanhoe's visiting Mozambique in the early 2000s, they began their relationship uh, through Round Square with um, Cambodia. And they have kicked on now to be involved in a culture and in a, a setting that is very, very different. So, yes, uh, it's when you get on a plane from Australia to Mozambique, it's like going from one world to another where, um, mm. you know, 90% of people still live without electricity or without running water, where they eat uh, one or maybe two meals a day, where education is a real, real privilege, uh, where most people don't get to go to a doctor. Um, and, and so it's impacted our lives, even if we end up coming back and living in Australia, we, you know, we, are, we, we, we live a much simpler life than we used to live because uh, many of the things that were important to us in the past are not so important because uh, we see people living in a much simpler uh, environment. That's amazing. Thank you. It's a pleasure. So maybe just one, one last question for me. So, so what, what role would you say that your faith has played in all of this? Sure. Well, I think that's, that's, a, that's a very, very important question. 
because we we meet a lot of people, whether it's in schools or friends or in churches, that have a relationship with God, they have a relationship with Jesus, but they're lacking they're lacking vision. And you know, when God gives you vision, when God gives you direction in your life, it doesn't have to be Mozambique. It can be in, uh, in, in, in schooling, it can be in your family, it can be in your community, that you actually do something about it. And so when we, uh, when we um, were beginning our interest in Mozambique and we visited Mozambique, God stirred our hearts and God stirred our faith to do something more. And so we decided to go for a year because we had enough finances and enough faith to go for a year. And during that year, God said to us, one more year. And then one more year. And so now, 20 years later, we're, we're still saying, God, one more year. And you see, faith is, um, it, it's, it's easy to look backwards and see faith was um, evident. But now we're looking ahead, God, what are you saying about the future now that we're stuck in Australia? And what are you saying to us about our future? And that's the question that every believer and every Christian faces daily. God, what are you saying to me about the future? Where are you asking me to uh, use my giftings and my resources and my finances and my education. Where are you asking me to deposit that? Is it in a school? Is it in the Aboriginal community? Is it overseas? Is it is in Cambodia? And they're the very questions that God asked us, and we stepped out um, in faith and uh, and did that together as a family. Fantastic. Um, I guess. I did say that was the last question, but maybe just one more for me, which is simply like, how can Ivanhoe continue to, I guess, support the work that you're doing in, in Mozambique? Well, the greatest pleasure for me is when I get a call from uh, Mr. Fox or someone and say, come to Melbourne and come and talk for a day because um, I love to share my little story about Mozambique because over the years, even at Ivanhoe, many students have contacted me afterwards and said, because of your speaking to me, I've, I've, I've made a change in my career or I'm now visiting, I'm now joined up with Round Square and visiting Cambodia. We've had many students over the years, either individually or, or with a group organised from Ivanhoe, they've visited uh, Mozambique or other countries. Um, Ivanhoe has been very generous over the years. They've helped us with uh, dozens and dozens of laptop computers. Uh, the Plenty Campus sent us maybe 100 pairs of soccer boots uh, through the tuck shop at um, the Ridgeway Campus. Uh, they've raised thousands and thousands of dollars to enable us to build school classrooms at our school. And all of those things uh, are, are real practical ways that Ivanhoe has helped and continues to help uh, the work in Mozambique. So thank you. We would love more soccer boots, more laptop computers uh, and, and things like that and more opportunities to share. Thanks, Foxy, for bringing in Steve. It's been an incredible journey that he's been on and um, the things that he's been able to do and make an impact, I think. Listening to him bring hope to a nation that was termed hopeless is an incredible story. What do you that, think? Yeah, definitely an incredible story. And I guess having known Steve for a number of years, it, it's still... Um, amazes me just how much of a difference that that one person can make um and particularly what i what i really impresses me about 
um, Steve, is just the way that uh, the organisation realises it, it can't make a difference for everybody, but it certainly can change the lives for um, one person at a time. And, and their motto at Iris is, um, yeah, just stop for the one. And mm-hmm. so uh, what I was continue to be amazed by with Steve is just the number of people um, that Iris has been able to help um, you know, from the kids that live with him um, to the individuals that I've met that have grown up through the orphanage or through the children's centre, I should say, mm, mm. over the years, yeah. That's amazing. And I think I was, I was really touched as someone that's new to Ivanhoe, just how much um, our school has been able to serve and help his ministry out there and, and, you know, the provision of laptops and footy boots and things like that. Obviously, what he does over there has really touched the hearts and minds of our students at Ivanhoe. And, and that's a real testament to the character of students that we have here. Yeah, no, it looks certainly it's been a real privilege to have Steve come and visit us and share his ministry um, in Mozambique with us over the years. And it's also been fantastic on a few occasions to be able to actually take some students over to see the ministry firsthand. And uh, yes, yeah, so certainly that's had a life changing impact upon them, but also uh, I guess it's made a real connection between us and Ivanhoe. Um, we even actually had and a uh, gap student from Mozambique over here a number of years ago, Tino. Amazing. He came and spent, spent about uh, five or six months at, at Ivanhoe. That's incredible. That, that's a great relationship between the two countries and then, and then the two organisations. That's awesome. Foxy had a great idea about following up some of the students that have been over to Mozambique and seeing Steve and his family over there. Maybe we can interview them in a few weeks' time and see how um, they've been impacted and, um, by, that, by that experience of visiting Mozambique. That, that certainly, I reckon, would be fantastic. Yeah, good. Well, so, shall I pray and we'll finish up Chapel Chats for today? That'd be fantastic, Beck. Uh, okay. yeah, look. Let's pray. Uh, Lord Jesus, I just want to thank you so much for Steve and his family and the fact that they heard you call them over to Mozambique and they followed that, um, that calling and have made a big difference to the lives of many individuals, that they've brought hope, they've um, been able to change um, the future des- destination of many who were living on rubbish dumps but now living in homes and, and um, living um, well. So, Lord, I just want to th- ask you that you continue prote- to protect Steve and his family, look after the people back in Mozambique, looking after the base at the moment. Lord, we pray that you protect them from this current pandemic, that they are um, kept healthy. And Lord, we pray that you'll be able to return Steve um, and his family to their place in Mozambique so that they can continue their work there. Father, um, give provision where provision is needed. So more laptops and footy boots and all the extra bits and pieces that they need to be um, able to work and live and learn well in Mozambique. Thank you for his time and for what he shared with us today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Thanks so much, Boxy. Always a pleasure. Okay, been a pleasure to chat with you and an absolute pleasure to chat with Steve as well. Have a great day. See ya.